His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to His and Hers Horror. My name is Tia. And I'm David. And if anyone remembers, Mm. cast your mind back. Okay. Several months ago. Mm -hmm. It was still in the during times because this podcast has only been going in the during times of Mm. COVID. We covered the Alien franchise. Yes. Yes, we did. And I said in that episode that we weren't going to talk about Alien versus Predator because I wanted to do an episode about the Predator franchise, and I had not seen the first two movies in the franchise yet. That is correct. Well, I rectified that situation. Yes, you did. I basically went out to a local, there's a a local store that has like used Blu-rays and DVDs and stuff. Right, right. And I bought a box set that is basically like the first two movies and then also the Predator, not not the Predator, Predators, Mm -hmm. which is technically the third one, even though it's came out like 20 years later although i think i figured out why there was like a 20 year gap in films why was that budget not budget box office oh yeah second movie did not do well no it didn't but Mm, we'll get into that we'll get into that but so yeah we're gonna talk about the predator franchise this week fantastic hooray what do we have for the detractors that might say predator's not a horror franchise folks get their spines ripped out hmm Fair point. That's skulls being collected and polished. Skulls are collected. Plus, you know what? A lot of blood. Not every horror movie has to be a slasher. Not every horror movie has to have ghosts. Yeah. Ooh, do they have ghost slashers? Uh, well, we'll look at that later. Yes. Hmm. Technic. I would consider Thirteen Ghosts to be a ghost slasher. Well, a Nightmare on Elm Street in a way. Fair. Anyway. Anyway, that's not that's not what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> We pick an episode topic for a reason. It's so we stay focused. Otherwise, every single episode would be just like random tangents Mm. connected by very little. So before we get into that. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. This week in horror. Yay. Uh, I'm dealing with some sinus stuff, folks. So if I sound a little weird, that's why. Yeah, fair enough. It's just I have allergies all year long. So whatever. Anyway. So one thing that I am very excited about. And I think you're a little bit less excited about mm-hmm. is the Mortal Kombat movie that's coming out this year. Yeah. They just released a trailer a couple days ago. I think it looks really good. It looks so cool. And some of the, they have like, the, it's rated R. So they actually have fatalities mm-hmm. and just Sub-Zero makes a sword out of somebody's blood. And that just, it just looks so cool and so violent. And I, I'm excited for it. Fair. I'm, I'm, it's not that I'm not excited about it. I'm very apprehensive. Fair. I can understand that. Because one of my other pieces of news this week, I am both excited and apprehensive about. Okay. What's that? So, I know one of your favorite, like, 80s action-y movies mm-hmm. is The Running Man. Yeah. Fucking great movie. Apparently, it's getting a remake that's being done by Edgar Wright. Okay. Now, I love Edgar Wright. Mm-hmm. He does really good stuff. But I don't necessarily know that we need a Running Man remake. 
Well, I don't know. I mean, because, you know, they, they did a remake of the Total Recall way back. And that didn't do well. It didn't do well. But it also didn't have Edgar Wright at the helm. No, it did not. I don't know. I am open to it. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to be able to see both movies exist harmoniously. Fair. There are a lot of things that you could update, uh, make make a little more... Because, I mean, some, I, some of the stuff in, in the movie was a bit cheesy. Right. I just also don't want it to become just like a CGI fest. No, no. I, I want a lot of practical shit. Because my opinion is that, and I think you'll agree with this too, and we may have discussed this before, mm-hmm. is that I'm fine with CGI when it enhances practical effects. Yeah. I understand there are some stuff that there's just no way it could be done practically. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you have to rely on CGI. Right. But I think you should, as much as possible, do practical effects and then and then go to CGI. I feel like CGI shouldn't be the default. And a lot of the times anymore, I think it is. And that's frustrating. Which, honestly, practical effects could be a lot more cost effective, too. Yeah, exactly. So the last thing I have as far as This Week in Horror... Mm-hmm. One of my favorite podca- other podcasts, mm-hmm. Friday the 13th, Right, they were just added to the Dread Central Podcast Network. Oh, that's fantastic. I know. So congratulations to Maddie and Andrew. You guys are awesome. And well done you. Congra- yeah. well done. well done. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. So Predator. Yes. Great movie. Flawless. Perfect movie. Is it, though? It does have some not great language in parts. It also has some exquisitely memorable lines. It's true. Okay, and we will get into that. So Mm -hmm. the original Predator came out in 1987. I was was a wee child. Yes, you were. I was less wee. You were less wee. So the plot, a team of commandos on a mission in a Central American jungle find themselves hunted by an extraterrestrial warrior. That is both an accurate and succinct plot summary. And that's how you get them into the theater. Uh, So the director was John McTiernan. Mm -hmm. The script was written by Jim and John Thomas, who actually were brothers. I was curious. I was like, well, Thomas is a fairly common last name. So I did a a little quick Googling. And I was like, (laughs) oh, no, they are brothers. Cool. Making sure they're not like the agents from uh, Die Hard. Yeah. I'm Agent Johnson, and I'm Agent Johnson, and we're from the FBI. (laughs) (laughs) So the cast, and I'm going to have to apologize in advance, y'all, because most of these movies have a fairly significant cast. So bear with me. We'll all get through it together, and we'll all be better for it. Will we? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So as far as the cast goes, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays Dutch. Everyone knows who Arnold Schwarzenegger is. He He's ter- that politician. Terminator was at one point the governor of California. Mm-hmm. So on and so forth. Carl Weathers is Dylan. He was Apollo Creed in Rocky. Yes, he was. Elpedia Carrillo is Anna. She's also produced uh, quite a few things. She um, A lot of the other stuff she was in is like Spanish language stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bill Duke is Mac. He was cook in Commando and is Carruthers in Mandy, that Nick Cage yeah. movie that I want to watch. Richard Chavez was Ramirez. He played Captain Eduardo on Days of Our Lives. Cool. Jesse Ventura was Blaine. Oh, that politician. 
uh, again, and conspiracy theorist. Again, a politi- politician, conspiracy theorist, former WWE star, uh, also played Captain Freedom in The Running Man. Yes, he did. Sonny Landon was Billy. He actually played another character named Billy, Billy Bear, in 48 Hours. Fair. Uh, Shane Black is Hawkins. He's mostly known now as a writer-director. Yes, he is. He wrote Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man 3, also wrote The Predator. Yes. Which we will be talking about later. Yes, he did. And then uh, Kevin Peter Hall is The Predator. Yeah. And he actually also played Harry in Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, I love Harry and the Hendersons. I haven't seen that movie in a minute. I bet it hasn't aged well. No, I'm certain it hasn't. <laughs> Almost nothing from my childhood has aged well. I might have to watch it and, and see. Okay. We, we might have to do. We might have to take a weekend and watch stuff that we watched as kids to see how it's aged. Challenge right. accepted. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it had a budget of. It said it in between fifteen and eighteen million dollars. It wasn't definitive. But it had a gross of $98 million. So regardless of whether it was 15 or 18 or somewhere in between, it still made a decent amount of money. Yeah, I mean, it definitely made its budget back. Yeah. So I will give you all my fun facts before we get into our thoughts about this movie. Sure. This I just thought was fucking hilarious. So Jesse Ventura, mm-hmm. he was apparently told by the wardrobe department that his arms were like bigger around than Arnold Schwarzenegger's by like an inch. And for some reason, he just thought that was really neat. And so he challenged Arnold Schwarzenegger to like an arm measuring thing. He was like, oh, we'll measure our arms. And whoever's arms are bigger wins a bottle of champagne. Wait, which arm are we talking about here? What do you mean, which arm? Oh, they're... They're They're actual arms. Okay. Are you thinking I'm meaning genitals? I mean, generally speaking, yeah. No, but why would the costume or the wardrobe department know anything about their dick sizes? Uh, Inseam. No one can see this, but my hands, I'm face palming so hard right now. This is the bicep, right? The upper, upper arm is bicep. Okay. Bicep. Oh, oh, bicep. Okay. When I say arm, I assume I mean bicep. I don't know. Two dudes, you know, getting excited about measuring arms. I just figure they mean short arm. Well, here's the fun part. Jesse Ventura actually lost. Because apparently Arnold Schwarzenegger told the wardrobe department to tell Jesse Ventura that his arms were bigger than Schwarzenegger's. Like he was doing him a favor. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I know. No, these guys are so... No, apparently it was it was fairly common for these guys to get up at three o'clock in the morning and all work out together before they went to filming. Well, I mean, there there is a lot of uh, muscle candy. If, if, if you are down for, for some... Some flexed arms and and lots of shiny muscle guys. Yeah, shiny, shiny, happy muscle guys. Well, maybe not happy, but no, most of them are fairly grumpy. One of the less grumpy people would have been Shane Black. Yes, yes, indeed, full of jokes. <laughs> full of jokes, not great jokes, not jokes that have not aged well, but that is neither here nor there. However, the glasses that he's wearing mm-hmm. in the movie, apparently, he hated them. I get that. What he wanted to wear were authentic military-issue ballistic glasses. I see. But John McTiernan said no because he wanted him to look as geeky as possible. Fair. Which is why he was wearing those, like, nerdy horn-rim kind of glasses. Yeah, BCGs. Yeah. The Predator's blood. Uh Uh-huh. As everyone knows who's seen the Predator franchise, it's a shiny green. Yeah, yeah, it looks like glow stick. There's a reason it looks like glow sticks. Is it because it's glow sticks? It is because it's glow sticks mixed with KY jelly. 
fantastic. Yeah. Do not use that for personal. No. In, not for internal use. Well, you're not really supposed to touch the inside of glow sticks anyway. I'm pretty sure that shit's toxic. Well, I mean, you can touch something toxic. You're not supposed to, probably not supposed to pour it all over yourself, though. No, definitely not. So let's get into my thoughts about this. Okay. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this perfect movie. Timeless. I did not know you loved this movie so much. How did I not know this? We've been together for 10 years. Look. How did I not know that you worshipped at the at the altar of Predator? I don't, I don't worship at it. <laughs> but I mean, if it's there, I'm there. I'm stopping for it. Fair. Okay. It's got some of the best one-liners that even sometimes in the film cause is, double takes. Okay. So that is my... Okay. So one of the cheesiest oft-quoted lines mm-hmm. is when they're in the insurgent camp ramirez goes up to blaine and is like you're bleeding man and completely seriously blaine goes i ain't got time to bleed and there's like a beat mm-hmm. and then Re- ramirez's response is 100 accurate to if someone in your real life says something that's stupid to you he just goes uh, oh okay <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm like, that is appropriate because if I told someone, oh my God, you're bleeding. And they said to me, I ain't got time to bleed. My brain would stop and then I would just be like, what? exe not responding. <laughs> Basically. You also had some judgment on the clothes they were wearing when they were getting off the helicopter. See, I, fi- I figured since they were. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm curious on your thoughts with that. Well, just because I you gave a reasonable explanation for why they were all wearing different outfits. But like one of them is like in a really nice suit. Mm-hmm. One of them is in pants and like a tank top. Like one of those ones where basically someone just ripped the sleeves off of a t-shirt. Right. Somebody else is in like khakis and a polo. Yeah. Duchess and khakis and a polo. Really? I mean, that polo really accentuates his, his biceps. I, f- I feel like most of the time when you're looking at these guys, their biceps are straining against the the prison that is their clothes. <laughs> and the universe. That too. Sure. Why not? It's not a bad movie, but it is very 80s. It is very 80s. It is. One of the other things that I think is really weird is Duke's dry shaving, mm. which apparently that actor came up with. Wait, is that the character's name? Was this character's name Duke or was it Mac? Played by Bill Duke. Right. Apparently that was something that Bill Duke came up with for Mac. And I'm just like, why? Why is that the character trait you came up with for your character that he's dry shaving? Because literally every time he did that in the movie, I would be like, why are you doing that? Yeah, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me with them, you know, in country and whatnot. I mean, when I was in the Navy, if, if you had to dry shave, it was because you forgot to shave. And someone's like, well, here, I got a razor for you. We'll go. You'll go shave right now. And you do a dry shave like some sort of punishment which it's not something i would ever willingly do i don't know maybe he just thought it made him look tough i don't know the funny thing is though because he insisted on that being his character trait because there's a bit where he's like does it so hard that he cuts himself the crew had to scramble to basically make a cheap disposable razor that had like a blood pack in it so they could actually (laughs) do that bit one thing i will also say that i was very happy with Mm -hmm. so while we were watching this Every time there was like one of the predators, the well, there's only one in this movie. Every time the predator sound happened, I was like, why does it sound like a whip? Mm-hmm. Because it is apparently. Yeah. It's 
So that's why it sounds like a whip cracking is because that's one of the sounds that they use as part of the sound effect for the predator's noise. I just, I don't know. It's for, weird. For, for when it goes to its like vision scanning. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm like, no, please don't. <laughs> just maybe, stop. Maybe it's just a fan of Devo. <laughs> how many times did you make, how many times when we were watching Predator did you make a Devo joke? I want to say it was three. <laughs> maybe. Fair. Okay. Did you have any additional thoughts about the first Predator film before we move on to the second one? One of the lines in that movie that I feel like gets borrowed by a lot of other movies, mm-hmm. even Independence Day, is when when Dutch gets a look at the Predator after it takes its helmet off and decides it's going to you know, disarm and, and just go hand-to-hand, which is a recurring thing, mm-hmm. with the whole, you're one ugly motherfucker. And it's recycled throughout the franchise, too. But also in other films. And like, it's in other films, yeah. Yeah, I, I just Although, s- something so simple. Oh, Independence Day doesn't say fucker, but no. still. Although that line is actually tweaked in the most recent Predator film, The Predator. Mm-hmm. Instead of your one ugly motherfucker, it's your one beautiful motherfucker. Yeah. Because yeah. when the scientist is looking at the Predator that they've captured, and she's like, wow, this is a beautiful specimen. And she calls him a beautiful motherfucker. Well, I mean, which I'm like, fair. That's a great way to turn it, you know. Yeah, you can have a beautiful pizza. Uh, Tia dot (laughs) exe. I'll reboot it. It's not running. What did you just compare a predator to pizza? Sure. How? I'm hungry. Would wait? No. (laughs) Does that mean you would eat a predator? No, but I'd eat a pizza. No, I asked here, David. (laughs) Did. I asked. Okay, I'm going to ask it again, as straight as I can, and I would like a better explanation, if you please. Sure. (laughs) How is a predator like a pizza? No, I was saying you can have an ugly pizza or a beautiful pizza, but it's still pizza, and it's all in the eye of the beholder. Okay, so So you were making, a, as far as perspective, you were doing one of your food analogies. Yes. It was not a literal comparison. No. Okay. You can't eat glow sticks. You can understand how confusing that could be for me. No. Oh my god. Okay, we're moving on. You don't eat predators. So Predator 2 came out in 1990. (laughs) We're just moving on. We're just moving on. (laughs) Fuck this. The plot of Predator 2. Predator returns to Earth, this time hunting in Los Angeles in the middle of a gang war. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Sure. Fuck it. Fuck it, why not? Directed by Stephen Hopkins, written again by the Thomas Brothers. Yeah, it was a futuristic Los Angeles. And that's the... Okay, and that's kind of the weird thing, is because it's like a futuristic Los Angeles, but it's also technically canon with the other films. It's very weird when -hmm. you look at... Well, I mean, it was it was near future. It was supposed to take place when, like... They never said. Oh, okay. It just said near future. And it just said near future. Which is more like the past, because, I mean, this was like... Yeah. Pre-LA riots, I would say. I think the events of the second movie were meant to be seven years after the events of the first. So, assuming the first movie takes place in 1987, that would make it... 94? Yeah. Sounds about right. Okay, so post-LA riots. Yeah post-LA riots, because the movie came out in 1990, so 94 would be near future. Fair, but that would also, post-LA riots, but not with the knowledge of LA riots yet. Yes. Wow. Okay. Sorry. That was some time travel shit right there. No, I get it. It's very confusing. So, the cast, we've got Danny Glover as Mm -hmm. Lieutenant Mike Harrigan. 
He's probably best known as uh, Murtaugh in the Lethal Weapon franchise, but was also Detective Tap in Saw. Yes, he was. Kevin Peter Hall returns as the Predator. Yes, he does. Uh, This time it's called the City Hunter. The City Hunter. Yeah. Not to be confused with City Hunter. What? There was a, I believe it was an anime called City Hunter. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Not the same thing. No, probably not. Gary Busey plays uh, Special (laughs) Agent Peter Keyes. He was uh, Pappas in uh, Point Break. Yeah. Yeah. He's also Gary Busey. No, legit. I looked at his IMDb page. Apparently, he just plays himself a lot anymore. Yeah. I did learn recently from a coworker, Gary Busey has a show called Gary Busey Pet Judge. Okay. Which is like the people's court, but with animals. Like people having arguments over situations with pets. Okay. Yep. I'm like I'm intrigued, but also horrified. Like I know how was he qualified to judge pet cases? Fuck you. He's Gary Busey. That's how. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Ruben Ruben Blades is Detective Danny Archuleta. Mm-hmm. He's a uh, Daniel Salazar on Fear the Walking Dead. Yes, he is. Uh, Maria Conchita Alonso Ooh. is is Detective Leona Cantrell. She actually was also in The Running Man. She was Amber. Yes, she was. Bill Paxton is Detective Jerry Lambert. He was Hudson and Alien and Bill and Twister. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's an acquired taste in this movie. Yeah. Lillian Chauvin is Dr. Irene Richards. I mention her because horror fans will know her as Mother Superior in Silent Night, Deadly Night. Mm-hmm. And then I mentioned this last actor. He's barely in the movie at all, but he's one of David's favorite characters. And that is Calvin Lockhart, who plays King Willie. King Willie. Yes. The only other significant thing I could find for him was he was Jonathan Lake on Dynasty, which Mm. I never watched. So I don't know. Or Dynasty. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) This film had a budget of 20 to 30 million dollars. Okay, so so they're still doing this. Eh, well, it's a range. Yeah, it's a broader exactly. range this time. Right, it's a bro- it's it had a it had a bigger budget. Yes, it did. But it also didn't do as well. Mm. Fifty seven million. I mean, so fifty seven million off of a let's assume it was closer to a thirty million dollar budget is not good. Well, also sometimes studios will kind of pad what they list as their budget. Yeah, that's fair. So, so I have a couple of fun facts. Okay, and then we'll talk about our details or Yay. our thoughts. So, at the end of the film, after Harrigan kills the main predator, and there's all those others, one of them is an elder. Mm -hmm. He's called the Elder Predator. And he has a scrap of uh, olive drab fabric with a patch on it on his right forearm. Okay. The patch is for the U.S. Army's 2nd Infantry Division. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar, and don't blame yourselves because I was too also unfamiliar... The 2nd Infantry Division was involved in some of the worst fighting during the Korean War, particularly during China's Winter Offensive. Okay. So if this Predator did kill an American soldier during the Korean War, that would imply that the Predators are not strictly attracted to heat and conflict, as people purport in the film. Right. But rather just conflict. Right. Because there's this whole theory that, like, and it's put forward in the first movie when Anna's talking to the commandos and she's like, they would, they would always come during the hottest years they were drawn and that they're drawn to conflict. So th- right. 
And one thing that's brought up in, in Predator 2 is that there's this massive gang war going on between, I believe it's the Colombians and the Jamaicans, I believe. Yes. And it's also like there's a drought and it's one of the hottest summers on record. But if this elder predator killed a U.S. infantry soldier during a winter campaign, then it would be it would seem like it's probably just conflict that they're drawn to. Or so. just, yeah, I mean, you know, variety. You Which know. I thought was interesting. You know, sometimes you want something else on your pizza. Yeah, fair. So one of the other things I thought was kind of, it's it's neat. It's a neat, it's a little bit of an inconsistency, te- okay. kind of. So the gang war is between the Colombians and the Jamaicans. Right. And the Jamaicans are called, like, this. they're called it like a Jamaican voodoo gang. Right. Basically. Yeah. So King Willie and his gang are said to practice voodoo. But the thing that's weird about that is that voodoo is not commonly practiced in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. It actually comes from Haiti. Right. So King Willie and his group are more likely Rastafarian. So Rastafarian, it's uh, a commonly practiced religion in Jamaica. And that would explain his dreadlocks and his general look. And also the fact that he calls Harrigan Babylon. Because apparently Babylon is a Rastafarian term for the justice system. Interesting. So, so it's it's entirely possible, like I said, because because voodoo isn't it's the stuff I said said that it wasn't commonly practiced. It's entirely possible he could be like combining things. Mm-hmm. So he could be do you know a little bit of voodoo, a little bit of Rastafarianism. Who knows? I just thought it was interesting that there was some that there were definite hallmarks to link something else. Exactly, precisely. Or it was just the the character was written poorly and poorly researched. Right. Well, well, maybe. I don't know. Because really, if you wanted to focus on the whole him being them using voodoo as part of their gang practices, you could have just made them Haitian instead. Or one of the other groups that more commonly practices voodoo. Potentially. Yeah. I think in the 90s, a lot of filmmakers are still using a lot of shorthand, some of which is not exactly... uh, just picking and choosing things a, that they a, like. Appropriate. Yeah. Or, you know, I would say a lot of the shorthand was problematic at best. I would agree with that. So one other neat fact that I have, Bill Paxton mm-hmm. is one of only two actors to ever have been killed by both an alien, a predator, <laughs> and a terminator. Holy shit. Yeah. Do you want to know who the other one is? Yeah. Lance Henriksen. Oh, Yeah. Because Lance Henriksen was Bishop mm-hmm. in the Alien franchise. Right. He was Mr. Wayland in the first Alien vs. Predator. Yeah. And he was one of the detectives at the police station in the first Terminator. Holy shit. He was the one who was investigating the um, phone book killer. Yeah. All the people looking for Sarah Connor. Yeah, exactly. But I just thought that was neat. So let's get into our thoughts about this movie. Mm. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that it goes more into the idea that the predator species, the Yautja, they do have a code, at like at, some, at least some sort of a code. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see that first when it, uh, it refuses to kill Leona, because it has not really indicated previously that it has anything against killing women. Right. If you're, it's basically, if you're armed, you're a threat. If you're not armed, it doesn't matter. But Leona's armed because she is a detective and she's, you know, firing on him. But he scans her body and sees that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. 
And so just and so there would be no honor in killing a pregnant woman, even if she is armed. Right. Or it would be dishonorable, I guess, to kill a pregnant woman. Right. Because, I mean, some of the lore kind of leads into this being kind of a rite of passage mm-hmm. for, for this culture. So you, you don't want to take the cheap route. Right. Exactly. You don't you don't want store-bought human skulls. Well, you yeah. You don't bring that to the bake sale. Yeah. I and it also goes into the fact that they're an honorable species later on in the film after Harrigan has killed the main city hunter and all those other predators show up and they they recognize him as a fellow warrior. Yeah. And the elder predator gives him like a flintlock pistol. Yeah, dope ass pistol. Which there's actually a comic tied to that if i remember correctly that uh basically that pistol belonged to a pirate whose crew was set upon by predators in the bermuda triangle Hmm. in 1718 nice yeah which i would love to read that just sounds fucking cool but yeah they recognize fellow hunters because and that is even more expanded upon in the first alien versus predator yeah which quick side note we're going to talk about alien versus predator movies another day so look forward to that Indeed. I might mention it occasionally in this episode, but as far as going into any kind of depth, we're going to do that later. Yeah, that's that's got its whole own block of yeah. time. Yeah, we're going to dedicate time to that later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they do that also with um, the girl in Alien vs. Predator, right. because it marks, she helps him and she, he, she receives the same warrior's mark, yeah. which I just think is neat. What are your thoughts on Predator 2? <laughs> some interesting tactics are used. You get to see some new weapons that weren't deployed in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the dart. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, oh, one of my personal favorites is the net launcher. Yeah. That basically doesn't just capture, but also like drills into a surface and cuts. And yeah, that's... It's like, oh, cannot be stopped by this tiny net until it starts stopping you. Right. Well, and it's it's made of like um, some sort of m- metal. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely not a less than lethal. It, no, op- it's like very thin metal ca- metal cabling. Yeah, because they use that in um, other movies as well. I know mm-hmm. they use it. They use it in uh, the first Alien versus Predator. And I think they use it in Predators, which is the one that came out in 2010. Right. Honestly, you know, a lot of people give Predator 2 a lot of shit. I'm glad they didn't do another jungle or another barren environment where it's just, you know, the people you're introduced to in the beginning and the Predator. Mm-hmm. It's There's a lot more collateral damage possible. Yeah. Well, especially since the whole thing with the, with the Yautjaws, they only, they'll only attack you, typically, if you're armed. Right, and they're also in that movie. There's a little boy with the toy gun. Yeah, and Predator, you know, does his diva whip imaging and scans the kid as like kid's not really got a gun. Oh, by the way, it recognizes that the gun is fake. Yeah. Also, that leads me to another interesting point that harkens back to the first movie, also, and that is it learns dialogue. It can record and save snippets of audio to to kind of event. It it has demonstrated that that they can learn this way. Which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. But speaking in a child's voice, asking if you want some candy during a rather tense scene is really off-putting. Want some candy? Yeah, that's a little creepy. I mean, it does everything except for... At least it wasn't doing like the, the schoolgirl giggling sound that you hear in a lot of horror movies. That's true. Going back to what you were saying before about 
collateral damage. Mm -hmm. Because it only will go after people who are armed, there are a lot of people in certain sequences that end up making themselves a target. Oh, yeah. Because, like, there's there's that subway sequence where... (laughs) <laughs> the, it's just like some gang, some some hoodlums, um, a ruffian, ruffians harass this you know nerdy looking businessman trying to get him to give up his seat. Picture picture a '90s stereotypical accountant with glasses. Well, and he pulls a gun out of his briefcase and is like, "I know how to use this thing," and all the hoodlums pull out guns. And then everybody else on the subway also pulls out a gun, like including this little old lady. Oh yeah, she's got a little hand cannon. And this, and I saw that, and I'm like, oh y'all done fucked up now, <laughs> because then the predator shows up, and literally everyone on the fucking subway starts unloading on this predator, and it's just like that sound where it recognizes, and it's like choo 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 choo. It's like, oh my god, I've got to kill all these people now because literally everyone has a gun. Which is part of why Lambert tells Leona to get everybody off the fucking subway. Otherwise, everybody's going to wind up dead. Exactly. Oh, god. Using the meat locker and, and the cold was an interesting approach. True. Yeah. They figure out that it needs to go there to eat, like, mm. every couple of days. So yeah. they decide that instead of killing it, they're going to freeze it so they can study it. Which... You can study it if you kill it, too, you guys. Like, just saying. Fair. But, I mean, you know, this is a less than lethal Busey. It it was actually a rather subdued Gary Busey. Yes, it was. I'm not used to seeing him not all wild-eyed and crazy going full Busey. You know that there's recently a term called going full Nick Cage? Yeah. Like, Nick Cage going full Nick Cage? This was not Busey going full Busey. This was, like, quarter Busey. Yeah, This probably. was federal Busey. Mm-hmm. Federal Busey of investigation. He was even a little crazier in Point Break. Oh, yeah. Which is weird, because Point Break is definitely more grounded in reality. Also a fantastic movie, by the way. I, I heard an argument the other day that Point Break could be considered to be a film in the uh, Fast and Furious franchise. I'd buy it. Yeah. All right, so let's move on. So, Predators. Yeah. Came out in 2010. Yes, it did. And that was actually the first Predator movie I ever saw. Mm-hmm. Because... At the time, I had a bit of a crush on Adrian Brody, and he got real swole for this fucking movie. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, don't be. He, he got... He looks real good in it. Oof. Yeah. So the plot of the 2010 film, mm-hmm. a group of soldiers, enforcers, and killers from around the world are dropped into an unfamiliar jungle. They soon realize they're no longer on Earth and are being hunted by members of a merciless alien race. So, you know. Yeah, it's a fun romp. Yeah. Director Nimrod Antal. Okay. Originally, it was thought that Robert Rodriguez was going to direct it. He just ended up producing it. And okay. so he had some say. Uh, screenplay by Alex Litvak and Michael Finch. The cast. And I'm going to include, when I say the character name, their their, their background. Because I feel like that that helps. That does help, yeah. Uh, with this movie in particular, that's oh, yeah. necessary. Well, because they come from all sorts of backgrounds. All sorts of backgrounds, yeah. So Adrian Brody plays Royce. He is a former spec ops uh, turned mercenary. Mm-hmm. Adrian Brody was uh, Vladislav Spielman in The Pianist. Was also Luca Changretti, sorry, Luca Changretta on uh, Peaky Blinders. Oh, yeah. Topher Grace is Edwin, who we learn later in the film is a serial killer, which is why he's there. <laughs> 
because of the build at the for most of the movie you have no idea why the fuck this guy's there which totally throws off you know all theories on why everybody's there yeah because he's like, a why me why why us what yeah because he's a common? yeah because he's a skinny nerdy doctor yeah so everyone's like what the fuck are you doing here but so Topher Grace was Eric on that 70s show. He was also Eddie Brock in Spider-Man yeah. 3. I know. I know. Uh, Alice Braga is Isabel. She's mm-hmm. uh, IDF Sniper. Mm-hmm. She was Angeline in the right. She's also playing Sol Soria in The Suicide Squad. Oh, cool. Walton Goggins plays Stans. He's <laughs> a death row inmate. He's on death row for murder. He's uh, Sonny Birch in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Also Boyd Crowder on Justified. Yep. Oleg Tatarov is Nikolai, who is a Spetsnaz soldier. Right. He was shipping in National Treasure. He's also a UFC fighter. Oh, cool. Like champion UFC fighter. Lawrence Fishburne plays the dumbest named character I've ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. Roland Noland. <laughs> Roland Noland. Who is a uh, former military. Everyone knows Lawrence Fishburne mostly as Morpheus in the Matrix franchise, although most recently he's been playing Pops on Blackish. He was also in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Billed as Larry Fishburne. Billed as Larry Fishburne, yes. Danny Trejo is Kachio. He's a cartel enforcer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was Razor Charlie in From Dust Till Dawn, Machete in Machete, and also, I didn't know this, and this made me so excited, Danny Trejo is the voice of Boots in the live-action movie Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Wait, seriously? I'm 100% deadly serious. We're watching that later. I know, right? Oh, he's al- he's also Machete in Spy Kids. Yes. There's another Machete movie coming. What? Machete kills in space. Oh, nice. I know. But he don't text. Louis Ozawa plays Hanzo. He's a uh, Yakuza enforcer. Mm-hmm. He's Joe on Hunters and Paul on The Man in the High Castle. Okay. Uh, Mahershala Ali is Mumbasa, who is a uh, Sierra Leone Death Squad soldier. He was Cottonmouth on Luke Cage. Yes, he was. Uh, he was Juan in Moonlight. Mm-hmm. And he's also the new Blade. Nice. And then I have our three Predators. Okay. So, Carrie Jones plays the Tracker Predator. He does a lot of practical uh, stunt work for the Creepshow Show. Okay. The Creepshow Show. Creepshow Show. Brian Steele plays both the Berserker Predator and the Falconer Predator. Which is why they're not in the same scenes. Exactly. He also does the robot in Lost in Space. And then Derek Mears is the classic Predator. And he's the... He does a lot of stunt... Can't the real thing. (laughs) Nice. He's done a lot of stunt work. Is also the most badass version of Jason Voorhees. Yeah. In the the 2009. The one with Jared Padalecki. Yeah. yeah. Motivated Jason, I believe. We Motivated Jason, I think, is what we called him. So this movie had a budget of 40 million dollars, grossed 127 million. Nice. So not too bad. So my fun facts on this film, according to the director and Robert Rodriguez. In the script, the character Cuchillo was described as a guy who looks like Danny Trejo. <laughs> no, it gets better. Okay. When Danny Trejo heard about this, he actually called Robert Rodriguez and said, Hey, I heard there's a guy in the script for Predators who looks like Danny Trejo. And guess what? I look like Danny Trejo. <laughs> had to include that because i knew you would love it <laughs> i knew that would tickle you so much so i had no idea that i know oh that 
I love that man. I know. Danny Trejo's the best. One other fact that I thought was very neat. So Hanzo, the Yakuza enforcer. Originally in the script, they were going to have him fight using Kung Fu. Which would make no fucking sense. Which would make no fucking sense. Yeah. Apparently, Ozawa insisted that his character fight using Kendo instead. Makes sense. Because that's what he's practiced in. And it would make more sense for a Yakuza enforcer to practice Kendo than Kung Fu. Kung Fu, which yeah. is not a Japanese style of martial art. I mean, it's not that it couldn't cross borders or a sea, but yeah, it would make a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. So this film continues the tradition that no predator is killed by a firearm. Yeah. That rule would actually not be broken until the predator in 2018. Cool. Yeah. So one of the other things I thought was really neat. So Nikolai, the mm-hmm. Spetsnaz soldier. Yeah. He shouts something in Russian at the Predator, like right before he basically does like a death, a suicide thing or, and kills them both. Mm-hmm. What he actually yells is, what an ugly face you have. Nice. Which is that, which is that film's version of you're one ugly motherfucker. Nice. Yeah. So my thoughts about Predators... Again, this was the first this was the first Predator movie I saw. Uh-huh. And I like it. But I also have a very low bar when it comes to action-y sci-fi movies because I also love Resident Evil and I love the Doom movie that has Carl Urban and the Rock in it. And yeah. so I don't have a very high bar when it comes to this kind of film. So it didn't take much for me to be like, "Oh my god, this is the best." Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure that you were there for Adrian Brody and then everything else was candy. I was there. I was. okay. Yes, I was there for (laughs) I was there for a swole AF Adrian Brody, but I stayed for some of the great effect work like the the predator dogs. Oh, yeah. Those are um, those are practical. Greg Nicotero made those. Oh, cool. Or he and his studio made those. It's not like he did it all himself. Yeah, just in his garage one night. And no. said, hey, can I be in your movie? Look what I brought. No, I, no, no it was not a, how it, it works. Was, it was a team. I also like that it does show an added layer of intelligence. It kind of flushes out the Predator story more. Mm-hmm. For instance, them using uh, Cuchillo's body as a trap. Yeah. Because they basically, there's this section in the first... It's earlier. It's early on in the film, fairly early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're fighting off all of these predator dogs, and they, after the battle's over, this, the group realizes that they've lost Cuchillo. They don't know where he went. So they end up finding him in this, like, clearing that's surrounded by trees, but there's, like, dense vegetation on the ground, and he's just kind of, like, on his knees with his back to them, and they can hear him saying, like, help me, please help me, and stuff like that. Royce kind of tosses a rock in and realizes that it's a trap. Basically, the predators have put him there to try and get them to come through to get more kills. He's bait. Yes, essentially. So the rest of the team is like, we can't save him. We just have to go. Well, Isabel decides I'm not just going to let him, you know, sit there and slowly die. So she decides to take him out. Right. So she shoots him in the head Mm -hmm. and turns to walk away and hears him continue to ask for help. And that's when we as the audience get a front-facing shot of Cuchillo and realize he's already dead. And the Predators have used that continued thing of being able to record voices and play them back to set a trap for the rest of the team. Which, again, horror movie. 
Exactly. That's some horror movie That's shit. That's some horror movie shit. <laughs> it's so, oh my God, it's so well done, though. Oh, yeah. I love it. I also do love, this is the first and only time we get a, we, we get someone getting their spine ripped out, mm-hmm. but it's on a living person. Yeah. Because the first two films, it's always on someone who's already dead. But Stans, the, the death row guy, basically, after kind of getting laid out by the one of the predators, says, you know, I'm right here. Kill me. You know, fucking do it. And he's like, okay. So he kind of rolls him over, hand in, grabs and like rips. And it's just so... It was very in, it was very neat to see on a live person as opposed to on somebody who was already dead. Yeah. Just cuz it's much it's much bloodier generally speaking. Well plus technology had caught up to the point where we could do that in mm-hmm. a, in a film where late yeah. late 80s not so much, not so much. early 90s again not so much. Mm-hmm. I do also like when they're trying to figure out like earlier on in the film they're trying to figure out exactly where they are because based on all their backgrounds they all kind of recognize they're not in a normal jungle. Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't recognize any of this. This none of nothing here looks familiar to me. And they get to a point where there's like a small body of water, and Royce decides he's going to try and make a compass, and it just the leaf just spins. It never actually finds north. And then it's a little while later that they figure out, oh shit, we're not on Earth. Yeah, they're basically on a gaming preserve. Which I like the idea of a, of there being a predator game preserve, it's- rather than them coming to Earth. And just blowing up, like, you know, half a jungle or a quarter of L.A. Because they've selected people that they deem, clearly deem to be worthy adversaries. Yeah. It's not just a, we're just going to hunt some people. It's, they've selected highly trained adversaries. Like, you know, cart- a, car- a cartel enforcer, a Yakuza enforcer, mm-hmm. several people that are involved in fairly high levels of the military in various countries. Yeah, with with the specific job of I kill people. Exactly. Yeah. It's, oh, God, I love it. Well, and also from a practical perspective, in the first two movies, you know, if you're going off the theory that this is a rite of passage for these uh, these, these young folks, you know, it's, it's a lot of work and a lot of risk mm-hmm. that hasn't paid off. Right. Because, you know, if you've got, what a, you know, both movies basically have this small ship kind of breaking off from, from a main ship. So, I mean, folks are watching. Yeah. You know, I, I I don't I don't get Predator TV, so I don't know if this is like a reality show or not. But, you know, it seems to be some sort of cultural rite of passage. But, but it may be entirely that they've looked at the first, the, the missions from the first two movies and decided, you know what? This is getting a little bit too more involved. Clearly humans have evolved to a point where we can't just show up on their planet and do stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's go about this another way. Let's capture some and then we'll bring them to a controlled environment where it's our turf or at least a neutral turf. Mhm. Yeah, I mean that makes a whole lot more sense plus if it you know, it could be a positive note for, you know, population growth uh, you know, for for these these predators. Yeah. Cuz this is the first movie where we get multiple predators, isn't it? Mhm. Not to mention the fact not only is it multiple predators, but they're clearly like a from a slightly superior what did they call it like some sort of blood feud because that's what um nolan's character calls it because there's you know the classic predator right that is has actually been hunted and captured by these more advanced more more elite 
predators. basically from different different tribes or different different camps something like that yeah which is why you've got these different specialties you've got this berserker you've got a falconer you've got you know yeah you've, you've got different different classes i mean maybe they've just roll up a character when they're like 10 and and it's like okay this is what <laughs> you're training in keep your character sheet on you and your little dupe dupe pad on your arm yeah. And if shit goes south, you know what to do with, with your character sheet. Yeah, fair. All right. Are you ready for the last film? Was anybody ready for this last film? I was. I was excited about it. So was I. But I also like several of the people that are in it, so fair. that made it very easy for me to be happy about it. Good deal. So the most recent Predator film mm-hmm. is titled The Predator. The Predator. Came out in 2018. Yes, it did. feels like ages ago. <laughs> yes, it does. Do we say that every week? I feel uh, like we do. <laughs> I don't know. It feels like it's been ages that we've been saying it. Like old Rose from Titanic. It's been 84 years. <laughs> <laughs> don't regret that joke. Anyway. All those people packed up like sardines. They're only sardines if they come from the Sardinia part of the world. Otherwise, they're sparkling trash fish. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, you just hit your head on the fucking mic are you okay yeah I'm... <laughs> are you okay did i just kill you no i'm okay yeah i mean yes i'm okay I... carry on with the predator okay so after a predator kills his entire platoon sorry let's try that again because that shouldn't i should be laughing about the an entire platoon. hold on and scene After a protector, a fucking shit. (laughs) Oh. After a predator kills his entire platoon, Quinn McKenna sends evidence of the alien home as proof of what really happened to his men. Because, of course, there's going to be a cover up. But after a genetically enhanced predator arrives on Earth in search of what was stolen, he teams up with a group of ex-soldiers and a biologist in a race to save his son, whom he's unknowingly made the predator's next target. So, you all right there? Yeah. All right. I'm good. So, was, this was directed by Shane Black, who was in the first movie. So, full circle. Mm-hmm. He also co-wrote it with Fred Decker. Okay. Cast. Uh, Boyd Holbrook plays Quinn McKenna. He was Pierce in Logan. Mm-hmm. He's also playing the Corinthian in uh, The Sandman. Oh, nice. Travante Rhodes is Nebraska Williams. He was Tom in Bird Box. He was also Black in Moonlight. Right. Jacob Tremblay is Rory McKenna. He was Jack in The Room. He was also Bradley Trevor in Dr. Sleep. Mm-hmm. Keegan-Michael Key. Yeah. Is Coyle. Of course, probably very well known by most people from being on Key and Peele. He does a ton of voice work. Uh, he was also Principal Hawkins in The Prom. Yes, he was. I did not know that dude could sing. I didn't either until I saw it. Uh, uh, Olivia Munn is Casey Brackett. She was uh, Sloan Sabbath on the newsroom. She was also Psylocke in uh, X-Men Apocalypse. Yes, she was. Sterling K. Brown is Will Traeger. He is currently probably best known as uh, Randall Pearson on This Is Us. Mm -hmm. But he also played Christopher Darden on uh, American Crime Story, the O.J. Simpson season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thomas Jane plays Baxley. He was Carter in Deep Blue Sea. Yes, he was. He was also David in The Mist. Hmm. Alfie Allen plays Lynch, probably best known as Theon Greyjoy in Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. but he was also that douchebag Yosef Terezov in John Wick. Yeah. 
Augusto Aguilera is Nettles. He was Kieran on Chasing Life. Jake Busey plays Sean Keyes. It's in the family. There's a reason for that. Uh, he was Ace in Starship Troopers. He was also Bruce, one of the douchebag misogynistic reporters on the last season of Stranger Things. Yeah. Yvonne Strahovski is Emily McKenna. She is Serena Joy on The Handmaid's Tale. She was also Sarah on Chuck. Okay, cool. And then our Predator this time is played by Brian A. Prince. He is mostly does stunt work, but mm-hmm. he has done stunt work for Black Panther and Captain America Civil War. Fantastic. Yeah. So this film had a budget of $88 million, gross of 160.5. I mean, it's not a huge jump, but I mean, it made its not money bad. back. So. Not bad, yeah. So fun facts before we get to our thoughts. We met you, we're, you know, Busey. it's all in the family, Busey. Yeah, yeah. So although it's never actually mentioned in the film, the character Sean Keyes, played by Jake Busey, is the son of Peter Keyes, the government official from Predator 2 that was played by Gary Busey, who is Jake Busey's real life dad. That's fucking beautiful. I know. That's why they had to delay it 20 years. No, I think it was just the money. Oh, okay. So Shane Black wrote Thomas Jane's character Baxley with Tourette Syndrome because Black actually has Tourette Syndrome. Oh, cool. So, and, and Tourette Syndrome is not all just, you know, shouting expletives. Like, there are different degrees to Tourette Syndrome. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger turned down the opportunity to return as Dutch which marks the fourth time he has declined to appear in a Predator sequel. He was offered the chance to return in, like, I, I know Predator 2, mm-hmm. and this one, Alien versus Predator, and then there was one more that he was offered. A, okay. I think this one, the reason he turned it down is because it was basically just a cameo, and he wanted more to do yeah. than that. Two of the other times he was offered to return, it was because he was currently governor of California and was like, <laughs> no, I have other shit to do. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, and and the reason he declined showing up or returning for the second film was because it would have conflicted with scheduling for Kindergarten Cop. Oh. And I think he, there was a salary dispute also somewhere in there. Right, right. Well, and Kindergarten Cop was a good movie. Yeah. So one other fun thing I... I didn't realize this until I was doing my research, which happens a lot with me. I'll find some neat fact. Yeah. So Olivia Munn is the first lead actress in the Predator series who is not of Latin American descent. Huh. You're right. Because Elpidia Carrillo from Predator. Yes. Is Mexican. Mm-hmm. Maria Conchita Alonso is Venezuelan American. Mm-hmm. And Alice Braga is Brazilian. Whereas Olivia Munn is Chinese-American. Yeah. So I just thought that was neat. So I want to get into my thoughts about this movie, and then we're going to talk a little bit about one of the problems that a lot of people have with it. Mm. So a lot of people talk about how it's very jokey, the film. Uh But, like, it's written by Shane Black. What did you all expect? Right. And, I mean, Shane Black's character in the first Predator movie was full of bad jokes. Yeah. So this movie is full of bad jokes. Here's the thing, though. You've got a bad news bears sort of motley group. Motley group of guys. Some of some of whom know each other relatively well. So they, you know. Yeah, because Coyle and Baxley were in the same squad. So so they fuck with each other. They, you know, they know how to get under each other's skin. 
not in a predator rip your spine out sort of way, but just enough of a way to like really get to you, you know, like yeah. like friends do. Like good friends do. I mean, granted, friends don't just bag on each other constantly. That's not a that's not a, a normal thing. But having been in the military, I can I can see where, you know, you mix bravado and fear and you get comedy. Yeah, basically. And it's really only like it's mostly most of the jokes come from Coil. Mm hmm. Which makes sense. He's the jokester of the group. Some of the rest of them kind of like get in it a little bit, but it's mostly just him. Right. I will say the the chemistry among that group of soldiers, particularly the chemistry between Coyle and Baxley, oh. is so good. Yeah. Because I think they you find out later that Coyle actually has uh, PTSD. Mm-hmm. I think it's like he and Baxley are the only two people from their squad that survived a particular mission. Yeah. And if so, I... Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, there's that whole, that, that band of brothers idea is very apparent oh, yeah. in this group of guys. It, it felt authentic to me. Mm-hmm. I love, a lot of people had a problem with, like, the predator dogs in this one. I thought they were fine. I particularly liked that they tried to kill one of them, but basically just succeeded in somehow taming it. <laughs> Yeah, ba- basically the showed where, them they were alpha. Yeah, because bas- they basically, they tr- they shoot it in the head, and it basically performs some sort of lobotomy to n- the point where now it will, like, play fetch mm-hmm. and, like, go get them stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very weird, but also kind of adorable to see this great big hulking alien lizard-looking dog thing, like... <laughs> Just being like, just coming up to Olivia Munn, being like, hi, I brought you this. Their very own alien Beethoven. I brought you a stick. Throw the stick. Throw the stick. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the amount of stuff that these guys steal in this movie, I also find hilarious. <laughs> yeah. They're just randomly stealing. They steal a bunch of, of a bunch of motorcycles from the military base. Uh-huh. And then one of them at one point steals a cop car. Yeah. And then they steal a helicopter from a news station. Well, and even when they were in Dude's place, like, with where his wife and kid live. Yeah. Like, they were looting that place as the scene was going on. Yeah, they were just kind of taking shit. They're like, you're not attached to this painting, are you? Yeah, I'm going to take this. I like this painting. Because his wife is an artist. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I really like this. He's like, I like this. I'm taking it. She's like, well, no, give it. <laughs> Some of the effects are really cool. So there's a bit where the last three soldiers are on the alien's ship. They're on the outside of it, basically, as it's taking off. And the shield starts to come up. And one of them, like, lays down. And the other one jumps, right, as it's coming for him. So he ends up, one of them ends up under the shield. One of them ends up on top of the shield. You just don't want to be in between. One of them, however, does not do either of those things. And basically ends up getting, like, chopped off at the knees. And, like, falling and dying. But I think it's neat that it addresses something that I don't think anyone... You always kind of wonder, like, well, what would happen if the shield went up while someone was standing Uh in the way? Like, would it just go around them? Would it go over them and include them in the shield? I'm sure it would depend on what your script required. And and maybe, you know, how your shield was generated, you know. Right. Because I I would imagine something like this where it would cut them off. It's got it's got to be calibrated to a certain distance from the skin from of the ship. The, from the surface of the the actual surface of the ship, because when McKenna is underneath the shield, there is enough space for him to basically crawl mm-hmm. and get into the ship. 
Right. So it's it's a very de- predetermined shape of the shield. It's 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 form fitting, if you will. It's it's not it's adaptive. A com- it's a comfortable pair of jeans. Mm-hmm. That's actually a great analogy. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, you're right. It's not adaptive. Even in a comfortable pair of jeans, you put something too big in that pocket. Mm, nah, it's got to go. Yeah. So let's talk about the. If you're prepared, let's talk about sure. the problem that a lot of people have with this movie. Yeah. And that is in the character of Rory. Mm-hmm. So Rory, the little boy who's played by um, amazingly, Jacob Tremblay is a great actor. Yeah, he, he's, he is a good actor. He's, he seems adorable, very sweet. Although we have seen him in, uh, he was in that movie Good Boys. <laughs> he was great in that. So his character is meant to be autistic. Yeah. However, he is what myself and other people refer to as Hollywood autistic. Right. So it's established earlier in the film when they're first introducing the character of Rory. Um, He has a photographic memory. He um, lacks social skills. He has sensory processing disorders. He's not completely nonverbal, but doesn't really talk hardly at all. Mm Mm-hmm. But his autistic traits seem to change based on what is required by the movie's plot. Yeah, it's not how that, it's not how that works. So it basically, he basically ends up going from being like an autistic kid who's fairly who's not super verbal and who's really good with technology to basically just morphing into, oh, he's just a really smart kid. Yeah. The thesis of the predator also has this notion basically suggesting that not only being autistic is some sort of an, is an advantage, Mm -hmm. but that it represents a forward step on the human evolutionary path. So one statement that I actually saw on a thing that I read is um, autistic characters in movies, especially genre movies are often portrayed as savants. They have some specialized skill or skills that make them useful in a way that other characters are not. The risk here is in turning people into sideshow attractions, as well as the fetishization of the neurodivergent community. Because basically the way that a lot of a lot of films and television shows, when they do have a character who is autistic, they are they're portrayed in a very specific stereotypical way. Yeah. And there are some shows that cover autism well. One show in particular, I know they had, there were some problems the first season, but in the later seasons, it's gotten better, uh, is the Netflix show Atypical. Right, right, right. That is supposed, that from what I've, under, from what I understand, handles autism extremely well. But there was a huge problem with this in The Predator because it basically acts like being autistic is some sort of a superpower. Yeah, and what while I appreciate the film trying to take away the, I mean, decades, centuries, I mean, however long anyone has been identified on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. take trying to take away kind of a negative stigma and say it it's not only you know acceptable, it's it it's, it's useful, it, it it's an improvement. Yeah, we, I wish I was autistic. That's that's what the movie starts sounding like it it damn near says oh one day we'll all be on the spectrum which actually let's let's look at that for a moment too Mm -hmm. with depiction 
of characters that basically their character trait is autism without looking at it is a spectrum. Yeah. You you have uh, I don't I don't even know if this term is used frequently anymore or not or if it's more of a dated term but you hear sometimes high functioning. Uh it's not used anymore because because here's the thing. A lot of things function. A lot of things right. can function highly. But it's like d- does that just display you know, the usefulness to you as a person or to society. We're all fucking human beings, folks. Yeah. Just some some of us have different ways of processing things. You know, we're all, we're all, we're all humans. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I think the way they went about it was not great. I think if they had maybe talked to some people who were, on the autism spectrum and, or it dealt with the neurodivergent community. Yeah. Not dealt with. You know what I mean? Worked with. Worked with, cooperated with, collaborated with. Right. They re- did their fucking homework. They probably could have maybe done something positive with it, but I don't think they really, they relied too heavily on stereotypes. Yeah. Which is not great. Um, I think it could, they could have, if they'd done a little bit more research, take it a little bit more care, it probably could have been better. There are a couple articles that I read regarding the Predator and how they went about their portrayal of autism and Mm -hmm. that kind of deal. I'm going to post those after this episode goes live. One of them is from uh, Sci-Fi Wire and the other one is from this website called um, Autistic and Unapologetic. Okay, cool. And... That one in particular is done. I, I I really liked because it looked at like here's how the movie portrays autism. Is this beneficial or is it bad? And they have articles on like other films and stuff too. So look for those after this episode goes live. Okay. If you want to kind of read more into how things could have been done better and other people's other more professional people than me's opinions, I also have some other articles that are about uh, how the entertainment industry in general, handles autism. Mm -hmm. One of my coworkers who's a psychology major actually sent me a clip, a link for a TED Talk about it. Oh, cool. So I'm probably going to watch that at some point and I might share that as well. So yay. Fantastic. I feel like that was a bit of a downer note, but you know what? We're all... Okay, so here's the thing. We're all learning and growing as human beings and I am all for increased diversity in films, not just when it comes to race and sexual orientation, but also people on the autism spectrum, Mm -hmm. um, people who are neurodivergent, people who have lifestyles that are different from my own, people who have different experiences, people who also deal with different mental health issues, that kind of thing. But I feel like there's a right and a wrong way to go about it. And I feel like we need to get more towards the right way. Yeah, and not less if, exploitative. Exactly. And if writers would just reach out to people in the various communities and be like, hey, I want to write a character who has this or is like this and actually get our opinions on things and try to write it in an accurate way, I think that would help those communities in the long run. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've already seen improvements with portrayal of PTSD. I mean, it's not perfect, but... 
Right. It it's it's less a write off and more of layers. Mm-hmm. I, I I hate I hate to go the Shrek route, but you know with with any type of of it, you know some some people call it you know invisible or you know anything involving mental health. Yeah, it's an invisible illness. Which you know, realistically, most most illnesses are invisible. Yeah, I'm pretty sure no one is wearing a arm, you know, or you can't see if someone's got it's, a cold. It's I mean, the fact that the symptoms are so, like, one thing you hear a lot, particularly about, you know, depression, is a lot of people seem to think that depression is just being sad. Yeah, it's no. it's not. It's not just being sad. It's there are a lot of different aspects to my experience with depression right. my and and my experience with depression is going to be vastly different from another person's experience with mm-hmm. depression because it's not the same for any two people oh i've got an upbeat note for on the same movie okay so remember at the beginning when when tia said that uh he sent this evidence to to his this like lone survivor sent this evidence to his kid or, or at least to his house and his kid got it mm-hmm so picture this. It's Halloween, and this young child has the perfect mask to wear out and about. <laughs> it is a predator mask, complete with armed cannon. That accidentally blows up a guy's house when he throws a beer can at the kid and it hits the helmet. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah, the house is, it's clearly, there's a, there's a flag hanging in the doorway that has a, that has a pot leaf on it. And the guy is clearly your stereotypical stoner. His house number, 420. Of course. Yup. All right. So that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We appreciate all of you so much. We started doing this almost a year ago. Yeah. yeah and we weren't sure how it was going to go. And it's going pretty good. Yeah. And I'm actually quite proud of us. So, yay. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Oh, thanks. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at H2HorrorCast. Um, <laughs> what? No, nothing. Love you. Love you. I'm going to move on with our sign-off. We can, we can talk about how much we love each other when we're not recording anymore. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's getting warm in here, and I'm not okay with it. Yeah. I anyway. Guess. Twitter, H2HorrorCast. Gmail, H2HorrorCast at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a Patreon. Yes, we do. Patreon.com slash H2HorrorCast. Weekly shout out to both of our patrons, Lizzie, a.k.a. Carnage Candy on YouTube, and Teresa, a.k.a. Mom. Mm-hmm. And you can also follow our Facebook page. Yes, indeed. Do whatever. Do all the things. Mm. Or one of the things. Yay. Yay. I've made myself a schedule, so I'll get better at posting. All right. Since I'm a, since I made myself our social media manager, and so far I'm not doing a great job at it. All I mean, the time. I mean, you manage. And that's all we can do I really manage. during this. <laughs> all right. All right. So until next time, I'm Tia, and I'm still David. And thank you for listening. Bye. Music for this episode was "Out of Time" by Shane Ivers of Silverman Sound. Our artwork was created by Catherine Nixon.